What's Up Runners? On this week's episode of the Up and Running Podcast, we are going to be discussing how I BQ'd for the Boston Marathon after three years of not running. Yep, you heard that right. So stay tuned and listen up. What's up, runners? This is the Personalized Running Doc. I'm a runner rehab specialist, running coach, and competitive distance runner. And throughout the early years of my running career, I was plagued with repetitive injuries and told by many a professional that it was my body's own fault, that my body wasn't built for running. So either I could quit or just live with the pain. I decided to choose option three, dive into the science behind running and training, which is what allowed me to return to running pain-free and continue chasing after my own PRs to this day. And now I'm gonna tell you all that I have learned along the way and how I coach my own athletes to do the same. This is the Up and Running Podcast. What's up, runners? So on today's episode of the Up and Running Podcast, we are going to be talking about a little bit of a clickbait topic. And I'm doing this on purpose. I made the title very clickbaity to get you to listen, to reel you in, and teach you all of the things that you aren't going to expect. Uh, And that is how I BQ'd after three years off of running. I BQ'd at my first marathon with a 3.30.31. That was my qualifying time in 2017. And the qualifying time for my age bracket in 2017 was 3.35 for females 18 to 34. Now, you may be familiar or you may not know that even if you run a qualifying time at Boston, it does not necessarily, or for Boston, sorry, if you run a qualifying time for Boston, it does not necessarily guarantee you entry into the Boston Marathon. Many times there actually needs to be a buffer, and that buffer can be a very big range from maybe two minutes to, I think it was like seven minutes one year, which was crazy. Um, That was I think the year after COVID when so many runners still had available um, entry because they extended the dates of which qualifying marathons were accepted. And so between the people that had qualified pre-COVID and then qualified post-COVID, there was just so many people. But there was also the fact that so many people are getting faster and faster. And so Boston has very limited entry. It is one of actually the smallest of the majors. I think it actually is the smallest of the majors uh, in terms of how many participants they allow in uh, through the qualified entry. And that is, aside from that, unless you are an elite athlete, the only other way into the Boston Marathon is raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's still like $10,000 for most of the charities. So it's still a big chunk of change that you're responsible for, but it's a lot. Uh, And so today I wanted to talk about how the heck I qualified for Boston Marathon uh, in 2017 with about a four and a half minute buffer. Um, And I think that year, I don't remember exactly, but I think the, the cut down from what was the actual qualifying time, which was 3.35, to what was accepted was like three, uh, you had to be under like, I think three minutes or four minutes under the qualifying time. So I literally just got in by the hair of my neck. I still ran a, a BQ, but it did not guarantee me that I was actually in for the marathon. Um, but how is this possible? How the heck is it possible to run a 
BQ after three years off from running? Well, let's go into it. We're going to go into it step by step by step. First, my training age. In 2017, God, I think I was, how old was I? I was 24 years old. Um, and so I was still very young. That being said, I had been running since the age of 12. By 24 years old, I already had 12 years of running underneath my belt. And it wasn't just casually running, it was competitive running because I have been a very competitive person <laughs> since I was born. It is literally in my blood. Uh, and so I've been competing in running in races from middle school to high school and eventually collegiately uh, at a D1 university here in Rhode Island. And so my training age just was a lot greater than most people that get into running a little bit later than life. Uh, and I had a greater base because of that. It's not just the fact that I had been running for 12 years, because again, if I had been just running casually for 12 years uh, with no specific consistency, no specific purpose, no specific structure, then it's again, not going to have as much bang for my buck. Uh, it'll give me something in the bank, but it won't give me everything, which is why we look for training cycles. We look for progressive overload. We look for making gains. We look for objective goals in terms of improving times, improving time on feet, improving mileage, however you want to kind of quantify it. There needs to be some objective measures that we are working on improving. Through me working with the coaches that were essentially at my disposal, uh, being on those different teams, now all of them were not the best coaches, uh, for me in particular, I only had a handful that truly knew how to work with me as an athlete, and that was one of the reasons that I became so passionate about becoming a coach myself and working with athletes to empower them because I realized the power of the words that you have working with the right athlete and creating that relationship and building them up. But I digress. What's the second thing that helped me be able to BQ after three years off of running? Well, through the course of middle school, I was consistent. My weekly mileage was probably somewhere between five to 10 miles per week. Um, and again, that may not sound like a lot, but again, I was a middle schooler. I was between the ages of however you old are, wow, however old you are when you are in middle school. I think uh, you, I was 13 in eighth grade, so 10, 10 to 13, I was running 10 to 15 miles, which is very, or sorry, five to 10 miles, which is very appropriate for a middle schooler. I was also participating in other sports. I believe in that time I was still also participating in soccer. I think I was also participating um, in some other after school curricular activities. And I was uh, actively in, so in um, karate at that time as well. So I had a very diverse plethora of sports that I was doing, but running was becoming a love of mine. That's where, that was when I found my love of running. So this is essentially where I started my base of building up my time on feet and my tolerance. And of course there were growing pains during this time because I was literally growing and also starting a very repetitive and demanding sport. Uh, that being said, again, the expectations in middle school were much different than when I got into high school and then when I got into college. Middle school, it was really just for fun. I had an amazing coach that was just very supportive, 
and he was so kind and honestly there were so many kids that wanted to be involved in cross country because he made it such a great atmosphere for the middle schoolers uh they unfortunately changed the coach in my eighth grade year and i actually didn't make the team i was cut from the team not because i didn't run well but for other reasons that the coach felt was going to mess with uh the team dynamics uh she had very interesting views but i essentially decided to myself that i wanted to continue running and i was going to prove this coach wrong for cutting me from the middle school team uh talk about again teenaged angst i was just empowered by this no that i got and i ended up continuing to train on my own for my eighth grade year and it, it probably wasn't as consistent as i would have been if I had been on the team, but it was enough, again, with all of the other things that I was doing uh, to help keep me moving forward on the track. And uh, that is what allowed me to then go into high school and make the high school team. Um, when I made the high school team, I was on junior varsity. By the end of the season, my freshman year, I made it to varsity and I got to go to states. Uh, and I got to see that middle school coach again, which was just very, very empowering to be like, remember me? And here I am. You didn't think that I was worth it on the team for a middle school team. And here I am at high school on the varsity team running as number seven runner. And that is the last runner that is allowed on the team. But hey, you know, I made it. I made it to varsity. But now, okay, we are in my high school years. And essentially, my mileage probably in freshman and sophomore, I'm estimating here, guys, because honestly, back then, I had a like stop and start watch, like one of those cheap ones that you get from Walmart, uh, and it didn't track mileage, and I didn't track my mileage on a sheet. Uh, I, I just did what my coach told me to do, which was usually go out and run for 30 minutes or go run this loop or go run this loop, and I had no idea how long they were. I just went and I did what was what I was told. So my mileage probably when I was a freshman and sophomore because they did downgrade runs for us uh, would have been probably somewhere between 15, 10 to 15 miles. And then as I got into my high school years or my later high school years in terms of junior and senior year, uh, I also started to then get myself involved in not only cross country in the fall, but I also started to do indoor track, which I think I only did one season because I am not a huge fan of the indoor track. It just tears up your lungs. It's it's not anybody that has run indoor track knows the uh, track cough that you end up getting because of the the dry air when you run on an indoor track. It just it's not it's not enjoyable in terms of racing conditions. It's more uncomfortable than it needs to be when racing is already pretty uncomfortable. And so later into those years, I, again, cross country, indoor track, and then started doing outdoor track. So my mileage probably was fluctuating somewhere between 15, 20, 30 miles, peaking, peaking at 30 miles uh, when I was heading into my like last couple of weeks of my season, especially heading into like senior year um, and trying to go to states and then trying to kind of qualify for regionals and all of those things. Um, and I did pretty well. It wasn't, I wasn't an amazing runner, but I did pretty well for, for where I started from. And it wasn't really until I had another change in coach mid 
high school that, again, I started to realize I actually had a certain potential to grow. Uh, and it, again, at that that was reinforced and provided to me simply because I had somebody that believed in me. I had somebody that told me it was possible where so many people in the past kind of like looked to the side and didn't kind of put their energy or attention or time into me because I didn't look like your average distance runner and my times weren't amazing right off the bat. And so, no, I wasn't naturally gifted, but I had certain coaches that saw how how willing I was to push myself, how much I was willing to get into that uncomfortable zone during workouts, how much I cared about my teammates and the the support and the like the drive of competing with my team and uplifting everybody. And it was those coaches that reinforced that I could actually do this. Again, I digress. But we talk about now going into college. College, my maintenance mileage would have been around 30 to 35. That first summer where I was training for college, the expectation was for me to get to, I think, 40 to 50 miles, which this was built up over the summertime leading up into the fall season. I actually, my freshman year of college, chickened out and did not try out for the team. I got scared and I ended up not doing it. And I only ended up actually trying out for the cross-country team my following year, my uh, my sophomore year, uh, because I spent all of my freshman year playing rugby uh, because the rugby team saw me just casually running around campus and was like, hey, you should come try out. And so I did and ended up being on their like JV team. Um, but I, every day that I was kind of training with the rugby team, where the rugby team fields were, I could see the track from where I was. And I just saw essentially track runners doing workouts on the track. And I was like, oh, I wish I was doing that right now. I wish I was over there instead of here. And I realized how much my heart really wanted to be a part of that type of team. Uh, not that the team that I was on was bad. It, it was They were great girls and I learned a lot um, in that time. And I stayed really fit during that time because of that experience. And I got to have a different experience and I was bold enough to try a new sport at the age of 18, which was great. Uh, but it just wasn't, wasn't where my heart was. And so I decided to finally try out for the team when I was a sophomore and I made it. And so maintenance mileage when I was out of season, which wasn't often because if you were a distance runner, um, at a D1 university, you were essentially expected to train all year round, but maintenance mileage, uh, during like the beginning part of the summer would have been probably 30 to 35 miles. Uh, and then you're peaking at like 60 miles just before the start of the season and trying to hang around 40 to 50 miles during all three seasons. So cross country, indoor and outdoor. And if you're wondering how well they structured, uh, like breaks or weeks off in there, it wasn't great. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I got injured quite often was because the volume was extremely high for me where I had not tolerated that before. I had not slowly built up to that. It was kind of thrust upon me in a year span. Um, and the intensity was also pretty high. We were typically doing at least two workouts a week, if not three uh, three when we didn't have races, two when we did have races. And so my performance actually 
during that time did not drastically improve because of the fact that I just like kept overreaching my potential. But regardless, I still had all of this time. So over the course of 10 years, my aerobic endurance built simply from me just working on tolerating more time on feet. And even though I was injured during those periods of time when I was in college, it wasn't like I, when I was injured, the expectation wasn't that I just got to sit back on the couch and kick up my feet uh, and relax in my dorm room. It was, oh, no, you are still spending that amount of time, if not more, cross-training. And so much of my time was then also spent on a bike and on elliptical, doing aqua jogging when I was injured because I had to get back to running pretty much as soon as possible because that was what my spot on the team was like essentially um, determined by, by, by my ability. If I couldn't perform on the team and I just kept having to take more and more time off, I'd eventually be cut. And I didn't want to be cut because I really loved being on that team. I've made some of my closest friends from being on that team. But it overall took me 10 years uh, to really create a strong aerobic base and to build up my time on feet, whether that was actually running or just tolerating aerobic activity through the cross training that I was doing when I was injured. Because again, the the expectation was that you maintained an aerobic base through the cross training that you were doing to be able to just essentially jump back in and gradually, I put gradually in quotation marks, build back up your tolerance to running as soon as possible to then be able to race as soon as possible when coming back from injury. So essentially this consistency of training load and this progressive overload over the years that had cyclical cycles with me going through training cycles for cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, depending upon the races that I was running, the distances that I was training for, uh, gave me a very strong base of fitness that most new runners just don't have. Like most most people do not have that aerobic fitness level just starting out, um, especially if you start out running later in life. Now, if you're another D1 athlete or D2 athlete or D3 athlete, and maybe you participated in lacrosse or you participated in field hockey or soccer, maybe even um, hockey, those things probably gave you a leg up on other people if you decided to start running later in life. Because again, the expectations, the level of training and the repetitive nature of all of those things and the time on feet will correlate to a higher aerobic base than your average person jumping into running later in life. Thus far, what had helped me qualify for Boston? My training age, I I had been training for 12 plus years by the time that I got into a training cycle to try and train for Boston. Uh, And the consistency, the consistency that I had for pretty much 10 years uh, before I took an extended like kind of break from competitive running. And we'll get into that in a bit. The last thing that really kind of helped, and this is where people are going to be like, wait, what? Uh, Is the fact that a majority of my training when I was in middle school, in high school, and in college, focused on the 5K. Yes, the 5K. Not the half marathon, not the marathon, but the 5K. 
So all of my efforts were either focused on the 5K. Sometimes it was a little bit shorter, say the mile or the 3K, which you can essentially say 3K is just under two miles. 5K is 3.1. And then I did do 10K effort workouts uh, when I was a junior in college. And those were not the most fun. I still do not love the 10K for that reason. But because of this, again, I've probably raced, I've never counted, and I can't even go back and try to count, but from the time that I was in middle school to now, I've probably, or till then, into the time that I was 24, I had probably raced hundreds of 5Ks alone, just 5Ks. Even though the 5K, especially the mile, but the 5K and the 10K are considered more anaerobic base races, meaning there's more speed based races uh, that you need to utilize a lot more glucose to create energy and you're not utilizing as much oxygen to create that energy. You still require a strong aerobic base to run a fast 5k. I'm going to break it down into some numbers. So if you are going to run a mile effort, a mile hard effort, a mile race, as fast as possible, you still need an 80% aerobic base to run that hard effort. Only 20% of that race is anaerobic. A 5K, 84% is aerobic. 16% is anaerobic. Again, 84% is aerobic, meaning it's just based upon your body's ability to utilize oxygen to create energy. The 10K, 90% aerobic. The half marathon, I believe, is 94% aerobic. And the marathon, 97% aerobic. So me focusing on the 5K, even though that seems like a completely different distance and a completely different type of race than the marathon, which it is, it still provided me with such a strong base that I was able to grow from, which is, and here's the thing, a lot of my mileage actually in college, especially, was nearly just as high as some of what I have trained for in my marathons, because I am also an average person. I have a job. I have a life. I have a family, I have friends, I have a relationship. I don't have time to run 50 plus miles, 70 plus miles, 100 miles a week. That's not my life. I don't get paid for this. I do this for fun. So most of my peak mileage probably is around 45 to 50 miles max. That's pretty much where I can like get myself to without overstraining myself, without injuring myself and feeling okay. And it has to be, again, very well structured and very gradually built. I unofficially start marathon training at least four months beforehand, if not five months beforehand. But I want to have a very strong base six to eight months before a marathon. So I'm, again, I'm not starting from scratch. I'm never starting from zero heading into a marathon build. My mileage in college to my mileage training for that first marathon was probably not very different. It was probably very much the same. And it took me almost 10 years to adapt and build to that consistently. But here are the benefits of, again, racing, getting, getting that strong base. And nowhere, no way am I saying that runners need to be running 50 miles a week for a good 5K. You probably would be 
fantastic if you can do 30 to 40 as an advanced runner. That's probably well good enough for most people, Uh, but you can still run amazing races in the 20-mile range, in the 25-mile range, 30-mile range. You you just got to do what works for you and you got to build slowly. And so if you're first starting out, you may be peaking at 20 miles and that's perfectly fine. Uh, But slowly but surely, you should eventually try to build up, but that isn't going to happen one training cycle to the next. That may only happen in a year span or a two-year span. Uh, You have to give yourself time. But here are the benefits of training for 5Ks. They're a shorter race, which means is a shorter recovery time. Even though you're running harder, you can race more frequently and you can practice racing and you can practice being competitive. You get to practice your pacing, getting so good at pacing because unlike a half marathon or marathon, if you mess up in that first mile, you do not have time to course correct. Where in other longer races, you do. You can course correct. But if you mess up that first mile, you go out even a couple of seconds too fast. If you're really at your peak and you're going for like pedal to the metal, if you go out slightly too fast, you're going to die by the end of that race. You're just not going to have the capacity to get yourself through because you're essentially utilizing all of your energy right at the start. And then you also get to practice fueling leading up to races and race morning. So how did I know what worked well for me going into a marathon leading up to the day before and the race morning? It's because I had done so many races beforehand. Yes, again, they were shorter races, but they're still races and I still didn't want to poop my pants. No runner wants that. So I knew what worked for me. And I'm laughing to myself saying this out loud, but it's true. Like that's that's the reality of when you're a distance runner. You don't want to ever be on the starting line realizing like that you need to go to the bathroom. It's the worst feeling in the world. So it gives you the opportunity to run harder, race more often, practice the actual art of racing and pacing, but being competitive, really working hard. And how to fuel yourself to feel your best for those races. When you train for 5Ks, the other thing that it allows you is you develop more gears. When you start running, everybody, when anybody starts running, you have less gears. Uh, You just, running either just essentially feels easy, moderate, or hard, which is why easy effort for new runners may include more of a run-walk structure to keep their overall effort down, but continuous running is essentially too hard on their aerobic system initially because they're still building that base. And that's okay. Walking is fine. You can walk. So many of my runs when I first started out, and even now, include walking because it helps me recover. It helps bring my heart rate down and allows me to kind of get back into my run at a better level. Focusing on the mile, 5k, 10k, you learn just how to lean in a little bit differently because you cannot run a 5k race at the same effort level that you would a mile race. You will absolutely hit a wall, you will burn out, the wheels will come off, and you will be in so much discomfort. Uh, So when you run these different shorter races, which you can do more often, 
you are just going to allow yourself to understand these different gears a little bit better. And again, those gears are going to be a bit smaller when you start off, when you're transitioning from easy running to moderate running to hard running. But as you get better, your gears will expand and you'll have a greater base of what is considered easy for you, what is considered moderate for you, and what is considered hard and really hard. So you're going to be able to start running really easy runs, easy runs, moderately easy runs, comfortable hard runs, hard runs, really hard runs, uncomfortably hard runs, and all-out max efforts. So you'll be able to break the gears down so much more like discreetly um, into different segments as you get a better aerobic base, as you build that efficiency of running at those higher intensities and racing those shorter races. An easy effort and pace improves a little, but after a point it doesn't change all that drastically, which is why my easy pace now is still about the same as it was when I was in middle school, high school, and college. Um, But what does change is your ability to push a little harder and grind a little longer depending upon the race that you're in. And with structured workouts to improve that top end speed and you mix that in with some endurance focused workouts and you build your body and it it becomes such a better machine and efficiency wise and it processes metabolic waste from these workouts on a better level, allowing you to recover faster, which is one of the reasons that you're able to run longer, more frequently, and faster over time as you slowly do this. Again, this takes years. It did not take months. It takes years. So ultimately, when I decided I wanted to run a BQ in the marathon at 24, not only did I have 12 years of training behind me, but I also had a very strong aerobic base with consistent training, probably 10 out of 12 months of the year, especially in those later years in high school and college. Um, And in those 12 years, I fine-tuned my running gears and improved my overall aerobic capacity so that when I was able to just dial into the marathon effort that I wanted, which for me to run that effort, I had to maintain, I think, like an eight-minute pace, um, it was easy. It was simple. I corrected myself there because it was simple. It wasn't easy. Still running a marathon, it was still hard. But it was simple because I knew what that pace felt like because I had previously done hundreds of long runs at that point between 10 to 15 miles in college and then into marathon training at a 7.45 to 8.30 pace. So me going out and running that pace, it was partially muscle memory, but also the fact that I had built a very strong aerobic capacity to be able to do that. And to be honest, in the three years that I also stepped away from running, again, the clickbait title of this all, I was still running just not as consistently and I wasn't competing. But what I was doing was lifting. During those three years, I lifted at some points five times a week and I was still probably running one or two times even though, even though like I wasn't running maybe at a certain volume or running at a certain intensity, I was just going out for easy runs. But again, easy runs for me at that point in time in my life, after 12 years of running, after coming out of a collegiate D1 sport, 
me going for a five, six mile run any given day of the week was a piece of cake. It was a cakewalk because of the fact that I had this base. I had this experience level. Jumping into a marathon training, I again had some level of fitness and strength that allowed me to shift um, and allow it for me to actually handle the load of marathon training. I wasn't truly starting from zero. I wasn't truly not running, not doing anything. I was still training. It just wasn't the same training that I had been used to. So let's recap. What allowed me to BQ after three years off of competitive running, consistent running? Uh, That was my training age. The fact that I had 12 years previously training And having some consistency in that training over the course of those 12 years from the age of 12, 13 uh, through like, I think I, when did I start? 21. 21 was when I started my post-collegiate or sorry, my, my doctorate. And I stepped away from competitive running during that time. And so the last thing was me focusing on those 5k distance. I focused on one distance pretty much consistently training to improve my aerobic capacity, to improve my, my gears, to improve my threshold and to get really good at dialing in on paces and getting uncomfortable in a race and learning how to properly race and get my paces down and be strategic in racing. I did that for 12 years before ever jumping into a different race, into a different distance. And so that gave me a lot of knowledge and confidence and strength and resiliency going into training for a marathon. That being said, here are all the things that I did wrong when it came to training for that marathon, that BQ marathon that I ran. I didn't have a training plan. I don't actually remember me following a plan. I think I wrote stuff down on a Google Doc um, and or a Word Doc, um, and I logged my mileage week to week like I did when I was running um, in college and would send that off to my coach. But I don't think I actually had any structured training plan. I don't even know actually how long my long run was during that period of time. I think maybe I would have maybe I did a 20 miler. I'm not even honestly sure. I have no clue. So that tells you exactly how prepared I was going into this marathon training. Um, I, I honestly didn't, I don't even know what my training looked like. I couldn't tell you if I tried. Um, and I also had no fueling strategy. Again, I don't even know if I took in fuel. Um, actually, actually I did. I do, I do believe I did take in fuel. And it was goo, and that was where I realized how much I hate goo. So I'm sorry if you are an athlete and you come to me. I will be biased. I am not a fan of goo. It's not my best. I don't feel like it's the best consistency. I have had so many GI issues with it. I have known so many other runners that have had GI issues with it. And so I stopped using goo after that marathon. But I honestly didn't have any structure of how to take in fuel, how much, when, and to take it in with hydration. Again, there was nothing, there was nothing that was prepared. Uh, I did have a camelback because I was training through the summer during that time. But again, my structure of how much was I hydrating, how much 
electrolytes was I taking in, all of that, there was there was no plan. There was no data. There was no information that I could even track. And so all of these mistakes ended up adding up. Yes, I BQ'd, but I hit the wall hard. At mile 20, when I was running this marathon, one, I went out too fast and I didn't course correct. I went out at a, I think a 730 pace and I was like, oh, this feels easy. I can totally do this for the next 26 miles. No, no, I could not because again, no structured training, no proper fueling strategy, no proper hydration strategy. I hit the wall super hard going into that mile 20 and it, I vividly remember what it felt like. It literally feels like you hit a wall, like you cannot lift your legs. They are made of cement and you have no oomph to get you through. Um, so all of these mistakes were made and hands down, it was the worst marathon I've ever run. Um, because I still didn't under understand like the training demands. And that is saying something because again, I've run Boston in 2018 when it was a nor'easter and I ran New York when it was a, uh, it was the hottest year on record thus far. Um, so those two marathons went a hell of a lot better than this first marathon did, even though it was, again, a BQ marathon. Why didn't I know any of these things? Well, it's because, again, all of my training leading up until that point when I decided to just casually jump into a marathon, my training had been taken care of me, care of for me by my coach. So I didn't really learn how to train. I just learned how to be an athlete and essentially follow orders, follow instruction and, and be a good athlete and follow what my coach said because my coach absolutely knew better than me back then. Um, and so I had no idea how to structure. And so, yes, it's impressive that I ran this time and did this impressive thing and accomplished this thing that so many people work to accomplish. But it's not because of all the things I did right in my first marathon. And it's not because I knew all of the things. It's simply because of the years of training I had put in before and trusting the process and trusting my coach and and doing the groundwork for year after year after year and trusting that one day it would come all together for this beautiful moment of being able to accomplish this thing. Without that consistency, repetition, and expanding my gear range, there's no way in hell I would have been able to accomplish this feat. Wrapping this up, what are the lessons we can take from my experience. This shit takes time. Trust the process. My business coach said to me, and I'm going to forever use this for life, for business, and for athleticism, measure your progress in 18-month spans and you will never be disappointed. Because during that time, there is so much growth happening. And during that time, that is really when you can see a lot of change happening in your running, whether you're starting out, whether you are coming back into it, whether you are shifting gears and changing your goals. Life shifts and anytime life shifts, anytime we essentially have to essentially quote unquote start over or start anew, again, that timeline restarts. My timeline restarted this past June. And so I'm measuring my progress in 18 month spans. If I measure my progress in the six months that have passed thus far, I'm coming along. I'm moving forward. I'm definitely in a better place and have definitely grown 
back and and improved since June. But I'm not where I want to be. And that's okay because I still have 12 months to get myself there. And I'm going to do that one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. And if you ever have a goal, a running goal, that is leagues faster than where you are now, that should be a five to 10 year goal that you work back from. That you have milestones to hit along the way so that you know that you're on the right track. There are ways, there are calculations to kind of see what your current pace is right now versus where you want to be for different races. And if you don't know how to utilize that, um, I can help you. You can reach out to me um, and I can send you a link for a pace tracker so that you can understand how it essentially helps you progress in your pacing and over time. But a lot of people have these big goals and they think that it's going to happen in six months. Probably not. It's probably not. It's probably going to take you much longer than that. It's probably going to take you 12 months, 18 months, two years, some five years, 10 years, and that's okay. It doesn't happen overnight, even if it looks like that on social media and all of the other platforms that are out there now. So that's lesson number one. This shit takes time. Lesson number two, consistency is king. End of story, period, done. That is the last word. Consistency is king. It's not the last word because I still have more, but consistency is what is going to help you grow, is showing up. And sometimes showing up definitely means learning to recover and take rest. That's where I could have really benefited when I was in college and dealing with a lot of those injuries. If I had known better, if I had been able to advocate for myself more and understood why and what was happening with my body every time I was getting injured, I would have absolutely advocated for lower mileage and less intensity. And that would have allowed me to probably stay way more consistent running versus having to keep that consistency through cross-training. Now that it does not mean cross-training is not beneficial, I absolutely believe in cross-training. Winter is coming up and I am so excited to incorporate skiing into my cross-training. Um, I'm praying that it's snowing, guys. I'm sorry if you guys don't like snow, then you shouldn't live in the Northeast if you do live in the Northeast or if you live in the Midwest, but anybody else... We're going to get snow and we're going to have a great ski season. So this shit takes time. Consistency is king. If you run a faster 5K, again, because the 5K is 84% aerobic, you will absolutely end up running a faster marathon. The 5K is still considered an aerobic-based race. The faster your top end speed, the more gears that you have, the more speed that you're going to have for those longer races. So a sub 25K runner isn't going to transition into a marathon and run a four, five, six hour marathon their first time. They're going to run faster. They're going to run longer and faster over time. And I'm going to prove that because that is actually what I'm doing right now. I'm purely focusing on improving my training volume and improving my intensity and racing 5Ks for the foreseeable future. I honestly don't know. I've changed my goal this year and I've changed my focus because I want to race more often, build more confidence, and improve. And I'm going to do that through racing 5Ks again. I'm coming back. And just because someone else has an impressive time doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. So again, 
if somebody came to me for coaching when I was 24 after running a BQ just because I ran a BQ, I wouldn't have even known where to start. I hadn't done the work. I hadn't done the research. I hadn't done all of the certification to get to where I was and research to get to where I was now. But now I have, and now I've learned, and now I've grown. And so be careful out there. Vet who you want to work with. Ask what their experience is. Ask what, ask what their knowledge base is from. And get information before you just sign up for them and trust them. Because when I was 24 and running those paces and running really fast, yeah, I did that, but I didn't know how to coach somebody to get there. I had to do the back work to actually understand how all of that works, which is where I'm at now. And I'm still learning every single day and I'm still always doing continuing education courses because I want to show up for my people and I want to be the best coach, the best physical therapist that they have. Experience and knowledge base matters um, and, and just take your time vetting. That's all I have to say about that. So lastly, wrapping up, lessons. Take This shit takes time. Consistency is king. The faster the 5K, the faster the marathon. And just because somebody has an impressive time doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. Vet your sources, people. I hope that you learned from this. I hope that you grew from this. I hope that you got some golden nuggets out of it and were able to understand a little bit more about how long these big goals really take to get there. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes years and years for most people. It took years for me. I started when I was 12. It took me 12 years to be able to get to that point. And I've only qualified for Boston one more time since. Haven't been able to do it since simply because of life and stress and other things. And that's okay. I'll get there eventually. I'll get back. It's not my goal right now. Right now I'm getting back into my top end speed. I'm getting back my confidence in racing. I'm going to work on strategy. I'm going to work on pacing. And I'm going to build back from the bottom up like I did once before because it worked then so it can work now. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will reach out to me, DM me at the personalized running doc on Instagram and let me know what you think. Shoot me a message or better yet, leave a little review. We need reviews. Share this podcast with somebody that you think will benefit from this information and help me reach more people, help me reach more runners to grow the space, grow the community, and improve the knowledge and transparency around training and staying healthy and being strong as a runner. As this episode drops, it's important to know that I am also launching PR Strong again. This is round three of PR Strong, and it's coming back January 8th. We have level one for beginners, we have level two for intermediates, and we now also have a marathon focus for those that are actually training for a half or a full marathon in 2024 and want to continue strength training but don't know how to kind of balance it all. You can learn more about that on my website, the personal, oh my god, wow, messed up my own website, thepersonalizedrunningdoc.com forward slash PR dash strong. Or again, message me on Instagram, ask me about it. I will send you all the info. I'll answer all of your questions. We only have eight spots remaining, and I am hoping that we will sell out. Who knows? Fingers crossed. But only eight spots remaining. We are halfway there in terms of I only allow in 15 runners each 
cycle. Um, so we only have eight spots. So if you are interested, check it out. You can get essentially 12 weeks of strength training programs, two workouts a week, 45 minutes, full body, uh, with two coaching calls. Um, you're gonna get support, you're gonna get some training guides, all of the things. You're getting all of that for less than the price of a medium coffee per day. So the price of the entire program is $269. You get everything for $269. Training gear is not included, but $269, these programs can be programmed at home or in the gym. Again, you get all that for less than the price of a cup of coffee on a daily basis. So check it out, let me know, and keep on running.